Well, today, as we turn to God's Word, I'm going to ask if you have your Bible or device, however you read God's Word. Today, I want to turn to Revelation chapter 3. And in just a moment, we're going to look at something that Jesus specifically says to the church. In the New Testament, a lot of the books in the New Testament are called epistles. And the word epistle, it just means letter. And so letters are written to churches like the church at Philippi or the church at Thessalonica. And usually Paul is writing these. And what he's doing for the churches there is he's usually encouraging the church. Sometimes he's correcting the church. But he's writing letters to churches. But in Revelation 2 and 3, it is not Paul writing to the church or another apostle writing to the church. It is Jesus Christ writing to the church, our church, Northport Baptist Church. And if you've ever wondered if Jesus Christ stood up in our church and preached in our pulpit what he would say, this is what he would say. He would say this to the church. And so in just a moment, we're going to look at Revelation 3 and see what Jesus Christ says to us. Over the past couple of weeks, as I've been praying, especially as we've been quarantined and not being able to meet as a church, I've really struggled to know what to pray, specifically for our church. Now, as I pray, I have, of course, prayed for people who are sick. I've prayed for people who have been hurt financially or lost their jobs. I've prayed for our nation. I've prayed for our leaders. But it's been hard for me to pray for our church because I've really not known what to pray. What is God doing through all this? What is God saying through all of this? I've really struggled to know what to ask God for. About a week ago, it was the National Day of Prayer here in America. And as I listened and as I read, a lot of Christian leaders in America asked for the church to come to pray. Almost all of them asked for the church to pray for the same thing. They said, pray that in America we would have a great revival or a great spiritual awakening. And as I heard our leaders say this and as I read our leaders ask for this, I wondered to myself if they really knew the miracle that they were asking for. And what I mean by that is this. When I was in seminary, the focus of my degree was on evangelisms and spiritual awakenings. The professor I studied under was Lewis Drummond. And Dr. Drummond was a great man of God. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. He was a professor. He had been a seminary president. He was an evangelist. And now, later on in his life, he became the biographer for Billy Graham. And so what he would do is Billy Graham was finishing up his ministry. Dr. Drummond would follow Billy Graham, and he would write down what he saw and write down what he heard, and he would interview Dr. Graham. And on some of the trips he got to take, I got to go with him. And it was amazing to get to experience some of those things that were happening around the world. Dr. Drummond taught us about evangelism and spiritual awakenings and great movements of God. I'll never forget one of the things he said to us. He said, if you study Christianity, one thing you'll see is there has never been a great move of God. There has never been a spiritual awakening in a post-Christian society. Now, what do I mean by that post-Christian? I mean a society that once was the majority Christian. I mean, a society where Christianity shaped the fabric of the moral being. It was the foundation on which the nation was built. 
But once that comes and goes, and no longer is Christianity the moral fabric of the society, no longer are the majority of its people Christian, now it's the vast minority, that means they're post-Christian. And in America, we're definitely a post-Christian society. So Dr. Drummond said that there's never been a spiritual awakening, a revival, a great move of God in a society like ours, post-Christian. Why? Is it because God's not moving? Of course not. God is always moving. It's not because God is not moving. It's because God's people are not moving. They stop moving. Why? Because they stop being dependent on God. No longer do they need God. No longer are they sustained by God. They simply stop. One of my trips with Dr. Drummond, I got to hear a missionary from Africa talk. And as he talked, he talked about the amazing things God was doing in his country. About the miracles he was seeing. About the lives that were being changed. About God healing people miraculously. And as he talked about that, at the end of his sermon, he said this. Something I'll never forget. He said, here in Africa, our God is bigger because we need him more. See, there in Africa, the people needed God. They were desperate for God. They were moving toward God, so God was moving toward them. No longer is that true for us as a society. No longer is that true for us as a church. We're simply fine with the way things are. We're okay with just coming to church and hearing a sermon once a week that makes us feel good about ourselves so we can go back and live our life the way we want to live it rather than the way God tells us to live it. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus Christ speaks to a church just like us. It's the church at Laodicea. And as we read God's word, I want you to see what he says. So if you have your Bible, turn there to Revelation 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 14. And this is what Jesus says to the church. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and the true witness the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent to turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice 
and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. As we begin to look at this text, I just want you to see one thing in particular. And remember what I said last week, this word angel right here in Revelation 3.14, where Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. That is not a heavenly being. That is not a divine being. That is just a messenger from God. So Jesus is giving this letter to the messenger of God, the pastor, the preacher, the elder of the church, and then in turn, the messenger of God is to give that message to God's people. So that's what I'm doing as your pastor. I'm giving this message from Jesus to the church. And this is the message. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, it's interesting to me. That's how Jesus describes himself. This is the message from the amen. Now, usually when we say that word, amen, that's usually our final word. When I pray a prayer and I say amen, that means that I'm done. But that's just not the final word of a sentence or a final word of a prayer. What the word amen means is just a word of agreement. It literally means let it be so. When I pray a prayer and I say amen, I'm just asking God, let it be. So when Jesus Christ says here that I am the amen, what he is saying is that everything he says will be so. Jesus Christ is the last word. He will be the last word in human history. He is the last word in life. He is the last word in death. Suffering will not have the last word in your life. Cancer, divorce will not have the last word in your life. Hell will not have the last word in your life. Death not. Jesus Christ alone is the amen, the final word. And for the church, our church, that means that the amen Jesus Christ, the last word, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he is speaking to us. So you cannot run from this word. You can't say, well, that's someone's opinion or that's an apostle like Paul writing to us. No, this is Jesus Christ speaking to the church and he's speaking to us. And this is what he says. Just two simple complaints against us. Look at verse 15. This is what Jesus says. He says, I know all the things that you do that you were neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The first complaint Jesus has against us as a church is that we are just like lukewarm water. We are neither hot nor cold. We are basically apathetic, complacent. Maybe the word content defines us. We are just simply okay with the way things are. And Jesus Christ says here that it makes him sick. Most of the time when I hear this passage preached, I hear a preacher say that he wishes all Christians were hot because the implication is hot is good and cold is bad. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. And here's why I say that. The church here at Laodicea, It had two primary sources of water. Those two primary sources of water were one about six miles to their north, the city of Heropolis. 
And in the city of Hierapolis, they had hot springs, and people would go there to go to those hot springs almost as medicine, and they would use those hot springs, that warm water, for healing. About six miles to the east of, Thess- of Laodicea was the Church of Colossae. And the Church of Colossae had spring water. It was cold. It was good for drinking. It would refresh you. So people went there to be refreshed. And both of those water sources flowed into Laodicea. But the problem, by the time both of those water sources flowed to them, the water was neither hot nor cold. It had just become lukewarm. And what was that water good for? Absolutely nothing. It wouldn't heal you because no longer was it from hot springs. It wouldn't refresh you because no longer was it cold like the water there at Colossae. It was just lukewarm, good for nothing. And what Jesus Christ is saying here to the church of Laodicea, what he's saying to us is that we're good for nothing. Why? Because we do nothing. Think about that term, lukewarm. What's another term for lukewarm? Another term for that would just be room temperature. That's what we would use today in our culture and society. And I want you to think about this. What do you have to do to make a glass of water room temperature? What do you do? You do absolutely nothing. If you want that water to be hot, what do you have to do? You have to put it on the stove. You have to boil it. You have to put it in a microwave. You have to heat it up. If you want the water to be cold, you have to put it in the refrigerator. You have to put ice cubes in it. You have to do something to make it hot or cold. But for that water to become And to get room temperature, you absolutely have to do nothing. And that's the complaint that Jesus has against this church. They were absolutely doing nothing. They weren't committing egregious sin. They weren't sleeping around. They weren't committing immorality. They weren't having false prophets come into the church and feed false doctrine. To do those things, you would have to do something. They were simply doing nothing. And Jesus Christ here says... That it made him sick. That word spit out in the Greek New Testament is the Greek word emeo. In English, we get the word emetic from it. And if you've ever had to take an emetic, you know you take an emetic to make you sick, to throw up violently because maybe you've had poison or something in your system that shouldn't be there. And the emetic makes you vomit. And that's what Jesus says. That lukewarm Christians, that's how he makes him feel. It makes him sick to his stomach. That's the indictment against the church that we are simply doing nothing and why are we doing nothing jesus says because we're arrogant we're prideful in verse 17 he says this you say i am rich i have everything i want i don't need a thing and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind. You see, the church there in Laodicea had everything they wanted, had everything they needed. They were rich. And because they were rich and had everything they wanted, it made them content. It made them lazy. It made them complacent. It made them apathetic. And I know as I say those words rich, you're thinking in your mind, thank God that's not me because I'm not rich. Well, let me tell you something. If you live in the United States of America, you are rich. And if you don't believe that, just go with me sometime to Haiti. And I will show you what poverty is. And I will show you that you are more wealthy than 90% of the known world. You have almost everything you want. And if you don't have it, you can work hard and you can get it yourself. You're self-reliant. You're self-resilient. You can do it, and that's the problem. See, back to that missionary in Africa 
when he's talking about the miracles of God there and he's talking about his God being bigger there because they need him more. That statement could be not more true than any statement on this earth. Why? Because they need God. Because if they're sick and God doesn't heal them, they die. If they're hungry and God doesn't feed them, they starve. Not so for us here in America. If we're sick, what do we do? Well, we go to the drugstore and get medicine to make us well. That doesn't work. We go to the doctor and they give us medicine to make us well. We have surgery. We take care of it ourselves. If we're hungry, how many different stores can we go to and buy food? We don't need God. Because we haven't needed God, it has made us arrogant and prideful, apathetic, and content. But thank God, Jesus Christ gives us an answer. Revelation 3.19 I correct and discipline Everyone I love. So be diligent to turn from your indifference. That is the call of Jesus Christ right there in that one word to turn. Turn from your indifference. That word is used 700 times in the word of God because that word turn is the word repentance. Because that's what the word repentance means. It means that you're walking in one direction. And you realize you're walking in the wrong direction. So you stop and you turn and you walk the other way. That's what it means to repent. It means to be walking away from God. And you finally realize that you're walking away from God. And you stop and you turn and you walk back towards God. That is what Jesus Christ is calling the church to do. This is the last command he gives us as the church. So many people say the last command of Christ is the Great Commission, or it's Acts 1-8, to go into all the world and make his name known. That is not the last command to the church. This is the last command of the church. Turn from your indifference. And not only is this Jesus' last command of the church, guess what his first command, his first call was? In Matthew 4, you see the first word Jesus speaks in ministry is to turn, repent from your sins, turn back to God, for the kingdom of God is near. His first word, his last word, were to turn back. And that is what he's calling us as a people and us as a church to do. Listen to what 1 John 2.15 says. It says this, It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See why John says this here in 1 John 2, 15. It's because the love of the world and the love of God cannot coexist in one's heart. It's like fear and faith. Fear and faith cannot coexist in your heart if you are a believer. You will either be afraid or you will stand in faith. It cannot be one or the other. And the same is true for the love of God. You cannot have the love of God in your heart and the love of the world in your heart. It is either one or the other. It works like this. If you have the love of the world in your heart and you are pursuing the things of this world and the things of this world make you happy and they satisfy you and that's all you think about, that's all you long for, that's the priority of your life, like your job, like your possessions, relationships, whatever it is, then what those things do as they drive out the love of God from your life. But the reverse of this is the same. If you have the love of God that fills your heart, it drives out the things and the love of this world so that the love of God becomes your priority. It becomes your focus. It becomes your everything. But it cannot be both. So what Jesus Christ is commanding, what he is saying here, is that we should turn and we should turn back to God. And when we do that, 
This is his promise. In verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Almost every time I hear Revelation 3.20 preached, it's preached in the context of salvation and Jesus Christ standing at the door of an unbeliever and knocking and we have to open up the door of our heart so that He can come in and He can save us. That's not the context of this verse. This verse is written to the church. It's written to our church. And it's as if Jesus is standing at the back door of our church and He is knocking, He is banging, and He is pleading to let him back in to be our hope to be our focus to be our love and when we do his promise is that he will come in and we will share a meal together as friends guess my prayer for the church should just be this that we would hear Jesus Christ knocking we would hear his voice and we would open the door over the last two months As we've walked through this pandemic, I've tried to figure out what is God saying to us? What is God preparing us for? As I thought about COVID-19, I thought back to World War II. I thought about a church in Europe in the 1930s that was very much like the church in America in 2020. In the 1930s, Europe was now becoming a post-Christian society. Christianity had come and gone. But God was speaking. World War II came, and there we saw some of the worst atrocities and evil in the history of the world. But the evil was overcome. But what did the church in Europe do? Well, I'm sure they thanked God. But then they did nothing. They just kept living the way they'd always lived. And today, the church in Europe is basically dead. Unless we hear the voice of Jesus Christ, and unless we move by turning back so that we can open the door, we will have the same fate. In the Old Testament book of Nahum, Nahum is about a great city, the great city of Nineveh. If that city sounds familiar, it's because it is. It's because that's the city that God called the prophet Jonah to go preach to. But rather than going and preaching to a city, Jonah turned and went the other way. That's why God sent the whale or the great fish and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then that fish spit him out on the shores, the banks of Nineveh. 
And then eventually Jonah did what God called him to do. He went to Nineveh, and all he did was preach an eight-word message. All he preached for three days in the great city of Nineveh was in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh heard God's message. So much, in fact, that the king of Nineveh got off his throne, took off his royal robes, put on sackcloth and ash, and called the people of Nineveh to cry out to God and turn from their wicked, evil ways. And then he said this, maybe God will hear us and relent. Maybe he will save us. And God did. And it is the greatest move of God in all the Bible. A city of hundreds of thousands of people. Everyone in the city was saved by God. Why? Because they heard God's message. Even though it was from a preacher who didn't want to even be there. All he did was preach an eight-word sermon. They heard the word of God. But Nahum is a hundred years later. And God's message for the city of Nineveh was almost identical to the message of Jonah. But this time, the people didn't listen. They didn't need the God of their parents or their grandparents anymore. They were content with the way things were. So what did they do? They did nothing. They didn't curse God. They didn't turn from God. They just did nothing. And what happened to them? Exactly what God said. The city of Nineveh was destroyed. You see, I know that there has never been a spiritual awakening or a great move of God in a post-Christian society. But this is my hope. Because I still believe in a God who can raise the dead. He did it for Jesus. He did it in my life and he did it in yours if you are a believer. God still raises dead things. And that is my prayer for the church in America. That is my prayer for our church. That is my prayer for me and for you. That God would raise us up as we turn to him so that we can live And we can live out the pages of this book, Revelation. And we can see his kingdom come. And we can see the return of Christ. So church, Jesus calls us to turn. And turn back to him. So just bow with me and let me pray. Lord, My prayer is that we would hear your voice. And Lord, not only would we hear your voice, we would listen to your voice and the call and the command in which you speak. Lord, I pray our church would turn back to you. And we would see our arrogance and our pride, our self-dependence and our self-reliance And Lord, we would turn in desperation with our only hope, with our only prayer being you. And Lord, I know your word is true. And I know if we do that, you will save us. 
you will raise us up. And we will see the kingdom of God. So Lord, continue to speak. And open our ears so that we could hear. We pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. As we close, I just want to say one last thing. Today, if you were listening to this message and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you heard the words of God, you heard the words of Jesus, and for whatever reason, you feel drawn to God, you feel like you're the one that needs to repent and turn to God. It's because you need to. And God is calling you. And He is being patient with you, giving you a chance for salvation. So today could be that day. And to be saved, it's as simple as this. In the book of Romans, Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. What does that mean? It just means in your heart you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe what this book says about Him. You believe He died on a cross for your sins. He bore your wrath. He died your death. And then God raised Him up again to prove it all. If you believe that, and you call upon His name, Jesus, to save you, the Word of God says you will be saved. Believe and confess. 